story. Years ago, I was in about the fifth grade, and we were looking at uh, moving to a different home. And this was back in the 70s to date me. But um, back then, this house we were looking at, because it was kind of the, the mode at the time, had in a in the living room, it had white carpet. <laughs> I know who would do that this day. Only only a family with no kids or whatever, right? Yeah. But um, it was it was a lovely home and everything. And at the time, you know, I remember young family and everything. And I, I know now thinking my dad was thinking, oh, I don't know if we can afford this or anything or if we should even be thinking this. Well, it all changed when my youngest brother, who was very young at the time, he had... <laughs> It's too funny. Before we left our house to go look at this house, we were thinking about buying. My younger brother drank a bunch of grape juice. And we didn't know, but he had the flu. Oh. Well, we we were all standing there looking at this, and my younger brother threw up grape juice oh, gosh. on this white carpet. And my mom panicked, and she said, we have to buy the house now. No one could see this. Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We're two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. I met my neighbor yesterday, Corey. Um, I didn't even know that, well, I knew I knew of them, but uh, one of them's a real estate salesman or a real estate, uh, whatever they call a <laughs> guy that sells houses. Yeah. Um, lady had a dream. I won't, I'm not going to mention any names. I didn't get her permission to share. I'm sure she wouldn't care, but, um, you may be seeing signs around town city of our God. This city stands for one nation under God. And these signs are going up. We believe this is the city of our God. If anybody's interested in that, you can go to cityofourgodindependence.com. But this lady shared an uh, experience. She had a dream, a couple spiritual dreams in the last year, and um, it was really interesting to stand in her living room. And she shared those with me, and I, I took a sign and put it in our yard. Um, it's just standing up for no political um, agenda, no side, left or right, but just that God is our king and and we want to be faithful to actually my neighbor who's not a member of our church had a sign in her front yard and I was convicted. And by the end of the day, I'm like, I need to have a sign. I mean, I haven't even put one up and, and people are, are gathering to this that just believe in God and we want to be a city and uh, under his rule and authority, how we treat one another. Yeah. So That's you can awesome. go to that website and I think read the testimony city of our God so oh, got a sign in our yard, and it's yeah, I like that. I, saw that I like driving good. around town and and seeing them up. And uh, there's a couple of billboards that are going up this week mm -hmm. with that message mm -hmm. in the city. So yeah, isn't that great? Yeah, I know of no other community that's ever done that, and how appropriate that uh, it's it's happening here. Anything good and exciting this past week? Oh, I don't know. I you know just been working on oh, many many things and. Staying You're up too late, haven't taken a shower every day. And this morning when I looked in the mirror, I realized, you know what? Jesus and I have something in common that I I have to admit is true. Isaiah wrote about Jesus and said, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And I, looked in the mirror and I thought, hey, I, I do have something in common with Jesus. Oh. You're funny because we'll, we'll be together here in the room and then um, – 
you know, a couple of days later, I'll, I'll send you a text. Say, hey, what do you think about this? Well, I'm in Texas right now. And, uh, or last, <laughs> it was late last night. I was like, you still want to get together in the morning? Yeah, I'm up in, uh, Iowa or wherever driving <laughs> back. I'm like, it's like 11 o'clock. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you're all stuff. over the place. Crazy. Yeah. But you know, my focus is, um, it's here. In, in fact, one of the reasons why I was late getting back is because I had a chance to visit with someone uh, very dear to me and my family who I don't get to see often. And I was telling her about how excited I am just of the things of the Book of Mormon that have been just becoming new and fresh in my life. And, and um, so we're standing there in the dark, you know, out in our country farm and, and the stars are shining. It's just beautiful and peaceful. And it's like, she had things she had to had to do and everything, but neither of us wanted to leave because we were just like, she said, I just feel the spirit hearing these things. And I'm like, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. We just have to talk about the Book of Mormon today. I just, we're, we're going to, but it's yeah. just exciting. It's, it's something in my life I feel like is my focus that I want to be my focus. I don't know how effective I am in that, but it's, it's a message that I want to share. Well, we've lost some sweet souls recently, and oh, yeah. I just want to mention their names. Um, uh, Francis Harper, mm-hmm. wonderful man. He lived in Woodbine, Iowa, and the whole town knew him. He he owned a little grain shop. Uh, I'll get it wrong, but he had a shop there on the main street, brick brick roads in that town. And, and of course, my friend and I lived there for a number of months and did some missionary work. But everybody knew Francis and knew of his faith in that town. We had the great privilege of spending mornings with Francis. And uh, I'll tell a quick story just to tribute to Francis Harper. Uh, Adam Gard and myself ended up in Woodbine, Iowa, as our first place we went as brand new youth missionaries. And um, we were supposed to meet Francis for the first time on Monday morning. And um, I guess we, uh, I guess we misunderstood and thought that Monday we were going to be going to the bank and get a bank account set up and all that. So anyway, we weren't there at like six a.m. like he thought we were supposed to be. And so here we were coming down the road in our truck and. Um, coming into town and Francis was heading out to our place to figure out where are these boys at, you know, and we met on the road and got out. And this is the first time I'd ever met the man. Uh, Adam Gard already knew him. And boy, he came over the truck and said, you boys think you're going to be sleeping in every day. And yeah, this isn't a vacation. And we're like, whoa, whoa, we didn't. And so wow. he's like, let's go to the church. So we're driving to the church and I'm sh- sitting there shaking like, Adam, oh, what no. have we done? And uh, it was all a misunderstanding. But I tell you what, at the crack of dawn, we were at his place every morning at 7 a.m. for three months, and we sat knee to knee. He was across from both of us on a bench, and we read through the Old Testament. Mm. And uh, I have to admit, there were times I was biting my lip to not fall asleep, but there were some great moments of just prayer and study and his expounding on the Word and showing us how it was relevant. And um, that shaped my life, That mm. those moments with Francis. Mm. Um he was faithful to the end. So uh, another love soul up in Iowa that passed away this week, Mick Kuhlman. Mick and Ladina Kuhlman uh, had family with a, a large family, several children. And um, I still remember Thanksgiving Day, Adam and I were away from our family as we weren't allowed to see him or anything for this year. And um, Mick and Ladina had us out to their house for Thanksgiving dinner to spend with their family. And uh, I think their kids were Cowboys fans and Cowboys were playing. So I still remember sitting there watching the Cowboys and having this wonderful uh, home-cooked meal. And they just treated us so well. And Mick uh, 
we were able to worship with him a few years ago at a retreat up in Iowa and uh, just loved his ministry and, and he was loved by his family and children. And so they're on my mind, Corey, you know, as you get older, more and more people, you know, pass away and go on to be with the Lord. And I was thinking this morning, I would say I'm not scared of dying, but that's a lie. I am scared of the suffering that comes with that. But what I'm really afraid of is that moment when I stand before Jesus and I say, I should have done better. I should have done more. I could have done more. You know, I wasted a lot of my life. I walked down paths that weren't right when I knew they weren't right. Maybe part of me not wanting to, but part of me not strong enough to withstand whatever it took, you know, whatever excuse you're going to have. And at that moment, the thing I have in common with all mankind is I need saving. I need a savior. I need a savior. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had to come and be a savior. Mm -hmm. But um, as we think about that, the effects of sin on our life and understanding the common um the common pool that we're all swimming in this pool of sin and that we look at each other and 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 gauge our souls as one better than the other or that person's better than me but when the scriptures say all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god that's a huge statement isn't it it is it is and you know mike i've had that moment in time where i picture myself what would i say and and I have to imagine that nothing I could say at that matter that that point would matter if Jesus's whole point is to say your sin is removed and now your new life is about to begin. And the old whether you you know made the best time or not in the end is that if your sin is removed, this is the starting line. Now life mm-hmm. begins, you know. And it's like no regrets. I think I, I have to balance that in my life because Mike, I'm the same way. I look at my life and I think. I mean, as you get older, as you state, um, I start realizing, okay, I have one last day. You know, all these dedicated souls, the the men you just mentioned and the, the lives of service they gave. You know, you, you look at any name, famous or infamous, whoever you know, your, your grandparents who you admired, Nephi, George Washington, you know, Jesus even – they all had a finite number of days, finite number of breaths, and none of us make perfect use of our time. But in the end, and here's the message of the Book of Mormon, man, jumping right in, um, it isn't because of our works. We're judged by our works, and we're all going to have inadequacies. But the point is, if we were broken and contrite because of our sin, and we have that remorse that you said, that you just stated, Jesus says, that's enough. And that's the point is that he said, and I can make mercy overcome the justice that you would have faced Mm -hmm. with that and that alone. And I was taught uh, growing up that, um, that at that moment that all of my works, all of the things that I did in this life were going to follow me through to eternity and that Jesus would look at me and say, Bill, based on your life and what you've done, uh, I've got a place prepared out here, um, you know, that you'll be saved. But um, but you got a B minus, and here's where the B minus. Yeah, so go, now right? you're going to live on a star glory with some angels, but never be with me and the Father. Mm-hmm. And I, I really believed that for years. But the more I read the message of the Book of Mormon, that's not anywhere in there, nor is it in the Bible. And it's not in the Doctrine and Covenants either. It's what we <laughs> thought the Doctrine and yeah. Covenants says. Well, so... Let's look at this problem of sin 
and um, and it needing to be removed. You could speak to that because I think you were you had some great thoughts and some great analogies on that. Well, but, I, I tell you what. Uh, so we're still continuing on our what does the Book of Mormon teach? And Mike, this has to be this has to be the one of the primary messages and. So without trying to introduce it, and we'll we'll come back and talk about some of the other stuff. I, I just wanted to say this. The, the Book of Mormon's message is personal to us. It's not just about prophecy and history or things of just spiritualism. It has a it has a redeeming, hopeful message for us. I can compare it in my life to this. Uh it, what what you just said though, our we've we've Christians have struggled, hey, are we saved by faith or are we saved by works or are we saved by whatever? And they read scriptures from the Bible that cause us to ask questions. Well, the Book of Mormon answers these questions and it answers it very well. The The question comes down to this, our sin has to be removed. So one one day, years ago, we, we had two dogs, a, a little 10-pound, little half Shih Tzu, half something else, <laughs> thought it was in charge, that kind of dog, right? And I had a 150-pound golden retriever, right? So about as opposite-looking as you could imagine. And I used to walk them around the block, and the, and this uh, it probably made uh, made for some funny pictures just seeing the huge dog and, me and the <laughs> little dog and me, you know. But, um, but I had the dogs off a leash, and they ran up ahead, and I didn't know what was going on but you could see they were really excited and they're wagging their tails and all of a sudden i see that the big dog kind of do a nose dive and shoulder rub right on the ground and he's he's like rubbing his back and something and the little dog's sitting there wagging her tail and then she gets a turn and she does the same thing she kind of puts her nose down and rubs and rolls around and they're like both wagging their tails gleeful and i'm like what is going on and they're, they're up you know 40 yards or so in front of me and when i get up there there's like this dead I don't know, a possum, it was a cat or something. It was like (laughs) pancake thin on the road. It had been sitting there drying in the heat. And it was this stinky, stinky, stinky thing. And these dogs are in heaven because they're rolling in the stink. right? (laughs) And and it's like, you know, you've heard vets or animal experts say, oh, they do this because in their... Uh, you know, somewhere in their genes and their ancestry, that's how they protected themselves by disguising their scent or whatever. And I'm like, you dogs, you live in the house, right? You don't, <laughs> you aren't disguising yours. You're not throwing anything off your track. Well, here's the thing. Their nature was that, hey, rolling in the stink is good and fun. Here's what God teaches about us and humanity. He says, our our nature is carnal. Our nature is to like sin. Our our nature is to want to rebel against the things that God has designed that are better for us. Just like the dogs want to roll in the possum, we we want to enjoy sin because that appeals to our nature, right? And it's something in the fabric of being um, human. Human, right? Exactly. Flesh, yeah, flesh, exactly. And so you know these these dogs. It's like. Okay, dogs, you are not coming back in the house like this, right? And they they don't know that they can't come in the house or they're smelling like a dead possum, right? And so, of course, you know, the dogs get all hosed off before they come in. But the same is true with us. God's like, the problem isn't that, hey, you aren't good dogs. The problem isn't that you aren't good humans. The problem is that sin can't be present where God is at. It has to be removed. And the story of redemption is the story of how that sin gets removed. 
That's the important message. And the Book of Mormon explains it so clearly, I think, that the, and, and this is where, you know, we can have long conversations about, you know, theological debates about grace and works and all this stuff, but it's, the point is missed if we don't understand this. The, the point is that all of our works combined could never have been enough to remove the sin. The dogs had no way to remove their sin. I had to do it for them, right? I had to scrub them off, right, and get rid of it. Now, the analogy kind of falls apart at this point because the the point is that I, I could do something in my humanness to remove the stink from the dog. Whether they liked it or not. Whether they liked it or not, right? right. And they were it was going to happen. But in salvation, it took an infinite payment to make it even possible for the sin to be removed, and that was only something God could do. That's That's the message. He had to do it, and he wanted to do it. When you say, um, you know, sin can't be in the presence of God, it's not like, um, well, I try to speak of things I barely understand, but I, I picture that it's not like that sin's going to damage God or that, you know, he's running from it or I don't right, want to look right, at right. sin. I, I look, it's kryptonite. Yeah, right, yeah, I look at it as his all-consuming love and light will just destroy sin if it comes yeah. into his presence. It's got to so, be something more like that. Yeah, and so, um, and maybe that's uh, part of why the Father, you know, remained in heaven and the Son took on flesh, you know, to almost be crippled at some point to be able to stand some things that the Father, God, couldn't stand because he was spirit and he can't be in the presence of mm-hmm. sin, but but taking on flesh and being all human and all God and, and you know, and that mystery that, you know, we, I can only go so far with to understand in my mind, but, but any sin in the presence of the father would just be destroyed. And so if, if you're not clean and white by the blood of Jesus and changed, you cannot be in the presence of the father. So that's, that's Jesus covering you with his light, his garment, his robe, his, his sinlessness to be in the presence of the Father. And to make that point, that that there's no there's no halfway. There's no in between. No. It's not that you, you're you have some sin left upon you that I can't cleanse. You're either made white and and I want to go through some of these scriptures because the Book of Mormon message is exactly that. And it 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 parses out so clearly that message. Oh my gosh! It it is it is it's the beauty of the Book of Mormon, um, and I think even taking that point and and adding um, this to it, it, this the sin can't dwell in God's presence. But even this whole mortal flesh can't be in in God's presence. All of this life is so that it can all be transformed to to be in a new life, a new existence, but. And, and this is probably the, the most important point, because we couldn't go where God was. God did the thing to be with us where it says he took on flesh. He took on flesh with us. But the difference, and like I started out saying, I have something in common with Jesus, right? Well, the thing that we don't have in common with Jesus is the fact that in his mortal existence, his earthly will never um, uh, contradicted the the father's will right in 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 the in the fact that 
He never let the misgivings of the flesh give in. You know, I've had times where it's like, man, I, I'm going to sin, and I know it. And it's like, no, Jesus didn't have days like that. He was confronted with the challenges, you know, but he didn't give in. And that's why this infinite sacrifice was able to occur, because as a scripture in the Book of Mormon clearly states in more than one place, if all those, if any of that stuff happened, God would cease to be God. You know, like the the whole the whole creation as we know it would implode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the difference being that in the flesh, you know, God takes on flesh so that He can die in our place, so that we don't have to die that final death. But in that process, He said, "I overcame. I overcame the will of the flesh," which is the challenge that none of us have been able to do. We, you know, we, we try to, we strive to. Um, and, and the, the, again, the need for this savior is, gosh, if somehow our works would save us or could save us, why did we need a savior in the first place? Right. We just had to do enough stuff. And it's like, that was never, that was never the point, which again, coming back to these scriptures, uh, and why don't we read through a couple of them? Yeah. Yeah. This, this is one of them. And these are all from, uh, Alma's writings. And, oh, I have a little tool that's on Restored Gospel, by the way, that um, if you use the Restored Covenant search, um, you can now cross-reference on that the RLDS and LDS version uh, or, or, or scriptures at the same time. So um, let's read from, and I'll give you those here in just a second. But uh, Alma writes this. He said, I say unto you, you will know at that day that you can't be saved, for there can no man be saved except his garments are washed white. Now, do you think, you know, he's talking about laundry here? Right. Right. right yeah. So what is that? You will know at that day. Let's put that in context. What is he talking about here, Corey? Yeah, so he's talking about in context the, the larger story of when we stand before Four. God yeah. in his judgment, right? right. Mm-hmm. And so that day is the final day or the, the day of our judgment, right? So we'll know at that time we can't enter in and be with him except we are washed white. Yep. Washed white. Yep. I'm um, going to give you a uh, an LDS verse here. Um, this is um, from the Restored Covenant Edition. Um, I'm trying to talk and type at the same time. Sorry. Um washed white that verse from alma is uh in alma three um alma 339 if you're in the lds it's alma 521 so yeah finish the verse there so yeah let's finish um so he says you'll know at that day that you can't be saved for there can no man be saved except his garments are washed white yea his garments must be purified until they are cleansed from all stain through the blood of him whom it hath been spoken by our fathers, which should come to redeem his people from their sins. So one of the things, I, I just won't do this too much, but I notice it now when I read, is that whenever you see the simple word, yea, with like a comma after it in the Book of Mormon, I just have to add this in for understanding's sake. It's part of how the Hebrew poetry structure works, and I don't want to go off on a tangent on this. I just want to say this. It's the emphasis. The verse 39 says, you'll know at that day you can't be saved. And then 
Verse 40 is like saying, moreover, or in fact, your garments have to be purified till they're cleansed from all stain through the blood of him. Mm. You know, he, he explains, this is like the punchline. Wherever he has that yay, it's like the end of the poetic structure. But the, the point of this is our soul is being compared to our garments, and they have to be purified, cleansed from all stain through the blood of him. And so how... How can we reconcile this idea with what we've taught as a notion? Well, that, well, you're saved, but you're just not saved with God. It's like, does that mean some of my sin wasn't removed? You know, it's like, that's where we've sometimes, and many Christians struggle with this, but the Book of Mormon clarifies, it, it's not like our works got us partway and the grace part got us partway. Well, that's that seems to me the only two options. Either, either I wasn't cleansed all the way, I'm not made pure enough to be with the presence of God, or I'm being rewarded by how much good work I did while I was on the earth. Yeah, yeah. And and the and the difference there, the works matter, but they matter in a different way than I think how sometimes we've been taught. The works become the judge, the evidence that our heart changed. And we're using the term works because we're borrowing from the yeah. evangelicals in the debate they've made, which we've, we've we've clearly stated in earlier podcast isn't even the correct debate because most of the time it's the works of the law of Moses, but, but we borrow that term and bring it into, you know, how good was I as a person basically on the earth, you know, how, how righteous was I, you know, and when works, when we use that word works, you're right. That's, it's really talking about our heart and which when we talk about our heart, it's talking about our focus, the focus of our life. Did the focus of our life show that we really believed this stuff about Jesus and change and repentance or not? And, and that's what works, <laughs> you know, to use that word again, mean, it means that is there proof that we really were changed? You know, we, we spent three, um, we spent a couple episodes leading up to what is the message of the book of Mormon teach and Corey yet when we come down here and we start reading the word this is like those moments in my life when we look at the word we talk about what it's actually saying in the message and all of my uncertainty all of my afraidness my fear all of the worries of the world right now just fade away mm. as i read the pure word of god oh my, isn't it comfortable? it's the only place where i feel safe it's the only place I feel safe. I remembered when when um, I lost the, the small family that I had many years ago, just being in utter pain and utter sadness and seeing no hope, no way out, being at work and at lunch and just having my Book of Mormon open and just reading and reading and reading. And it was the only thing I could do to find any type of momentary lapse of pain. And it was... And that's how I feel when we read these things because everything in my mind or everything I've been taught by the minds of men that aren't in harmony with the pure love of God, when I read the word, this is the only thing that matters. And this is so plain and pure. I mean, how can you read a verse like this and have any other idea of what's going to happen before, you know, when you leave this world, when your heart stops beating? I mean, it's so plain right here. So let's let's read on to verse verse forty one. Right. And now I ask of you, my brethren, how will any of you feel if you stand before the bar of God, having your garments stained with blood in all manner of filthiness? 
behold, what will these things testify against you? And then he, he goes on to talk about how these people in their generation were guilty of a lot of wickedness. And, and he says, do you suppose that you can have place to sit down in the kingdom of God with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the holy prophets whose garments are cleansed and spotless, pure and white? You know, this, this point is, is a strong one here because he's saying in another way, the same thing what we were conversing about is that he said, no, you're going to join these holy people who have already been, had their sin removed. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these forefathers who, despite you see their sins sometimes laid out in their stories of their lives, God removed their sin. He said, this kingdom of God that you're going to be part of is joining where they're at, right? It's not some other, it's not some other place. It's not some in between place. Cause you weren't just quite as good as Abraham. Yeah. I love that. The fact that he brings those men in because knowing that that's exactly probably our argument, you know, I could never be with, you know, Moses and Abraham and righteous, all these righteous prophets and, and men of the, of the scriptures that I read about, but he brings them into the story right here saying, this is, this is for all of you, right? Right. Like, can, do you think you're going to be with these men? But he brings it in like that. And but, so but yet he says, but the extension to you is that you can and will be with, with these people. Yeah. Read, uh, Alma five. Well, if you want to skip down or not, but, um, but we can read what it says about that. Yeah, go ahead. Well, it says, um, May the Lord bless you and keep your garments spotless, that you may at last be brought to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the holy prophets, which have been ever since the world began, having your garments spotless, even as their garments are spotless, in the kingdom of heaven, to go no more out. Now there's where I want to bring in that word kingdom of heaven. Thank you. Because... The kingdom of heaven could be described as, you know, we read scriptures that say there's many mansions in my father's kingdom or there's um, <laughs> crowns, treasures in your crowns, I've heard in mainstream Christianity that there's different rewards and things. But he's talking about, here's the best of the best names that you guys know from the recorded history, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, holy prophets. You'll be with them in the kingdom of heaven. It's one place the kingdom of heaven is described as the kingdom of god you know his right hand it's one place it's not divvied up into levels of who's better than who yeah and go back and read through alma 3 uh, 44 where it talks about the same people and and what does the kingdom in that verse say behold my brethren do you suppose that such a person can have place to sit down in the kingdom of god right. with abraham isaac jacob and all the holy prophets. So there it's interchanged. And now 542 says that you might be brought to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the holy prophets having you know in the kingdom of heaven. That's the point is that, and Jeff Benner, who's this uh, Hebrew expert who's not in the restoration, he has on his website, he says the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven were synonymous terms in the Hebrew. They meant the same thing. And the place where God dwells. It's the place the where God dwells. And and there's there's no implication at all that saying the kingdom of heaven, and this scripture proves it, that you just pointed out that the kingdom of heaven is some place other than where God is. 
You know, kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are the same thing. And they're synonymously used here in the, in the Book of Mormon. Alma says, therefore, they were called after this holy order and were sanctified and their garments were washed white through the blood of the lamb. And we see this word blood, having your garments stained with blood in all manner of filthiness. Um, how will you feel if you stand before God having your garments stained with, man, with filthiness? So you either have to be, you're either stained, that's interesting, it says stained with blood. Mm-hmm. So um, there's many references to blood crying out from the ground to God and things like that. But it's also the saving power cleansed from all stain through the blood of him of whom it had been spoken by our fathers, which should come to, and here's another phrase we see a lot, redeem his people from their sins, redeemed. That word redeems really important on how we define it, right? Um, because how can we be redeemed and then not, and then um, not be with the father or with his son, Jesus. So yeah. are you redeemed or are you not redeemed? Well, in, in the book Mormon explains that in a great way too. There's, there's kind of two definitions and they're both re, they're, they're both good and important. This final redemption or being redeemed means to be brought back to God's presence. But the book of Mormon, <clears throat> excuse me, the book of Mormon explains something equally important that Jesus death brought to pass what's called the redemption of all men to stand before God, just the ability to stand before God and return to meet him was made possible by Jesus death. That's also called redemption, but that doesn't mean the final judgment. That just means being able to be brought back. Mm-hmm. The book of Mormon writers use that word in two different ways when they're talking about that. But, but yeah, your, your, your point is, is good uh, on that. Um. <clears throat> What else do you want to talk about? That was that was that was all from Alma, uh, being washed white, being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You um, know, I just a little spotless sp- garments. A little story. Years ago, I was in about the fifth grade, and we were looking at uh, moving to a different home. And this is back in the seventies to date me, but um, back then, this house we were looking at because it was kind of the the mode at the time had in a in the living room, it had white carpet. <laughs> I know, know who would do that this day. Only, only a family with no kids or whatever, right? Yeah. But um, it was, it was a lovely home and everything. And at the time, you know, I remember young family and everything. And I, I know now, thinking my dad was thinking, oh, I don't know if we can afford this or anything, or if we should even be thinking this. Well, it all changed when my youngest brother, who was very young at the time, he had. <laughs> it's too funny. He, before we left our house be, to go look at this house, we were thinking about buying. My younger brother drank a bunch of grape juice, and we didn't know, but he had the flu. Oh. <laughs> well, we we were all standing there looking at this, and my younger brother threw up grape juice oh, gosh. <laughs> on this white carpet, and my mom panicked, and she said, "We have to buy the house now. No one could see this." <laughs> yeah, so it, it happened kind of like that, um, but it. It's the same in our situation is that he talks about our garments being stained, our souls being stained. And unless they're made white through the lamb, we can't go into his kingdom. Uh, here's, uh, almost 16 says, Yea, he had said that righteousness, that the righteous should sit down in his kingdom 
to go no more out, but their garments should be made white through the blood of the lamb. You know, that the one thing the Jews above anyone in this world knew is that there could be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood, that for the sin to be removed symbolically, now they thought it was the real deal, you know, an animal had to be killed. Those animals were just teaching tools to teach them about the greater sacrifice of Jesus. But nevertheless, the idea was instilled, no, for for your sin to be removed, something has to shed its blood. That's that um, picture you just painted in that story of stain. When you think about your soul being stained or your garments, you know, you're talking about your spirit, your your soul being stained from sin. I don't know what that means to you, but I, whether it's just how I'm put together, I feel that stain every day. I feel that, that, that need. I mean, I, I feel the effects of sin in my life over the years. I know that my thought processes at times are wrong. I know they're sinful and I know that I've been doing those thought processes for decades, and I've wired my brain and my heart certain ways by my actions, and that's a lot to be undone, Corey. That is a lot to be undone and reprogrammed and put together correctly. That is being stained by sin. Now, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit can't, guide me and help me, but it also says that battle is also being waged every single day, the flesh against the spirit, against the powers of darkness. And I have been wired and stained by sin for years, and I need a Savior to reprogram me and cleanse me and take all of that stain out. And and what I see that doing is when all of that stain of sin is removed, like you said, we're back at the starting line. We're able to start over, and yet maybe with with a different perspective, maybe with a different knowledge that God's way is the only thing I desire because of that stain that, that affected me for so long. I don't know. What do you think? I, th- I think this. In, in the third book of Nephi, chapter 9, when Jesus is present with the Nephites, the word says, it came to pass that Jesus beheld them as they did pray unto him, and his countenance did smile upon them. Now just picture ourselves at that judgment day. If if we've had this brokenness, and, and like you say, just in, in our own lives, this awareness that that you so beautifully just described of our of our misgivings and our, of our the way our hearts have strayed and, and the way we've chosen the wrong paths, and yet Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. And, and this scripture says, as they prayed to him, his countenance did smile upon them, and the light of his countenance did shine upon them. And behold, they were as white as the countenance and also the garments of Jesus. And, and that's the process he has in store for all of us, for you and me, Mike, anyone who's listening, is this is this what the Savior is extending to us, that his countenance, his power and beauty is going to make us like him. The light of his countenance shone on them, and they became purified. They became as white 
as as he was. So he and, and he being the man who walked on this earth and never sinned. Yeah. Who who was on the cross and at that moment knew I've done it. I've I've come down, I've taken on flesh, I've spilt my blood for these people. And he says, Father, forgive him. And he's never had a spot of sin on him. And that's the countenance that, that comes on us. That that countenance, that garment. That and, and he and he did it without being grudging. He he never is like, I don't want to do this. No, he wanted to do this so that he can say to us, you know, Mike, Corey. I'm here to remove your sin. I want you to be with me so you can enjoy this existence that you're suffering without right now and you don't even know it, you know. So look at the two outcomes, Corey, that you can arrive at. So you know that you live in this sinful world. You know that you've done a number of things in your life and continue to do them. And not just things, but that you are programmed, you are wired uh to, to partake in sin and sinful thoughts and things because of growing up in this world. It says this sin conceives in your heart and it grows. And so we're fighting this battle. And so we either look forward to that day when we go before God with fear saying, man, look at all the things I've done and I don't want to meet you. I don't want to be punished for what I did. Or you get the message correct which then frees you up to love him and to come to him and to need him like a little child. That message is this, my countenance will shine on you. I will cleanse you. I will make you white as I am white, as never having partaken in sin, as never been stained by sin. I will give that to you, and that's yours to have. And you don't have to worry about being judged or lined up on how you measure up to other mankind Mm -hmm. and where you're going to be, that prevents you from coming to Christ. And that's why I find that doctrine damnable Mm -hmm. and, and against the very gospel of Jesus Christ, you have to be free to come to God and trust him and have him be the author and finisher of your faith and realize the words when it says he's mighty to save. When we're talking about our God, our creator being mighty that word has to carry all the weight of what mighty means, mm. mighty to save you. And that is what points men to Christ and allows them to come to him. And instead of misunderstanding that, you now have a barrier, a barrier that makes you feel guilt every day and worry and fear saying, I'll never measure up. I'll never be good enough. Um, I'm going to be judged according to every bad thing I've done. You can't have it both ways. You can't you can't walk down that middle path. And you know we had ministers at our church recently preach and pray about Jesus and the scriptures where they say, "As far as the east is from the west, so will your sins be," mm-hmm. and telling us we can be forgiven. That has to be the message, or not. There can't be any um, buts or or footnotes at the bottom of that message saying but your reward will be according to what you actually did anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's our misunderstanding. And the message of the Book of Mormon here is so clear, and we have to get rid of the baggage and just listen to the pure word of God. That is, I think, what you just said, Mike, is is the message of the Book of Mormon. It's that God is mighty to save. He is merciful. And and, and the plan is told so clearly here. There's there's no confusion. And like you, how you described at that low point in life, how those those words were the only thing that brought satisfaction to you. And you just kind of immerse yourself in it. 
this message of this book is so that you can immerse yourself in that assurance and that comfort of this beautiful plan with with understanding and with hope that God is mighty to save you you know and and this book tells about that great plan of his mercy you know his mercy at all levels is his mercy at you and me personally but his mercy for the nations his mercy to to honor covenants that he made with forefathers to be fulfilled in in the lives of people who are living in this world right now and in a day to come his his mercy to bring his kingdom and his his righteousness back to this earth this this book is the source of this truth and 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 the bible has it too but it's it's not told like that it's not told like this i think in the same way where where um where we we can just see so clearly how beautifully loving our our savior is mm. well that and and this message is very simple but it's something to read over and over and really firm up in your mind and have it in front of your eyes every day um, that God wants to bless you. And, and that doesn't mean that it's easy and that, that there's an easy way there because we'll, as we'll see in the message of the Book of Mormon, there's many things that we, we need to do. But first and foremost, we need to keep that picture in our mind that God wants us to come to him and he wants to, cleanse us and he's on our side and all the powers of heaven are at his disposal to create that condition within us, whether it's chastening, whether it's suffering or, or whether it's a sweet, gentle spirit that, that comes to the heart that's finally open and wanting to repent. I heard a couple of things this past week that I think were enlightening. I I listened to the uh, Monday night service, um, last week at living hope, uh, the testimony service of the solemn assembly. And there was a couple of testimonies there. One was a man that shared um, the joy that comes from being forgiven and repenting. And when that really happens in a person's life, there's no greater joy. Um, and, and really when you feel clean, I don't think there's any, I know there's not any better feeling in the world to just feel free and clean and have no sin upon your heart because I felt that forgiveness from God before. And so the need to repent and, and to look no farther than to repent, um, not not for a list of things you've done wrong, but just for wanting anything other than God and to repent towards the, his kingdom and wanting to be like him, that brings joy when you feel forgiven. So I thought that was a an, a good testimony that I pondered on. Well, what else? Where do you want to go from here? You want to wrap up on this one? or? Yeah, why don't we? Uh, I think the next section we're going to talk about some of the symbols from the Bible that teach us why we can trust and believe that God had more words that he spoke to other people in this uh, world and uh, that we are reading them. We're holding some of them in our hands right now in the Book of Mormon and, and, and how the Bible even talked about how the Book of Mormon was going to come forth. Yeah, that's, that's good because... These words are so life-giving, um, and it's good to have confidence in them that they are the words of our Creator. I, I'm so blessed to have been raised without a barrier to these words so that they found place in my heart, and they've um, been a blessing, and, and I'm allowed to read them and not have any um, hindrance 
or thoughts that maybe they're not the word of God. I just, they're part of me, but I know that's not true for everyone. So uh, that would be, that would be a good study. So there's much more we can say about garments and we'll probably, um, they'll probably, we'll get into that more. There's also a phrase, Corey, that that's used a lot called entering into his rest. And I think that's a great word picture that's worth um, talking about as well. Yeah, yeah, you bet. All right, well, I guess we will head on out. What you got for us? It's just been good sitting and talking with you, brother, and knowing that someday we're just going to walk each other at home and be with our Savior again. Amen.